Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Rains, and I'm one of the pastors here. I am absolutely loving this post-Easter message series, Faith on Film. A couple of weeks ago, we took a look at a film called Lady Bird and connected it to God's perfect love, which casts out fear. Last week, Eli did a masterful job connecting Wonder Woman to God's saving love for the world. And today, we are going to enter La La Land. La La Land was a movie a couple years ago nominated for Best Picture, actually won the Best Picture Award for about 30 seconds or a minute before they realized they had read the wrong envelope. Uh, But it's a a movie about a couple of dreamers. Sebastian uh, is played by Ryan Gosling, and he has this dream of opening a jazz club, a jazz club that harkens back to the golden age of jazz and Charlie Parker and Thelonious Monk and Louis Armstrong and Hoagie Carmichael. And then Emma Stone won the Best Actress Oscar for her portrayal of Mia, small town girl, moves to Hollywood hoping to become a movie star. The movie itself is a bit of a dream when you stop and think about it. I don't think there was a whole lot of people saying, you know what we really need are more musicals. You know, more because that's such real life, right? Something happens in your life and you just break out into song. Don't you do that at your house a lot? No, not so much. And then a 90-piece orchestra starts playing along, not so much. But in movies, you can do that kind of stuff. At least that's what this dreamer behind the movie, Damien Chazelle is his name. He wrote the screenplay. He won the Oscar for Best Director for directing this movie. And he says that movies do this. We allow movies to act like dreams, We allow movies to act like dreams. Most people don't go to movies looking for real life. They go to movies hoping to escape their reality, to spend a couple of hours not having to think about the trials, the troubles, the heartache that they're going through. They want to go to movies that are uplifting. They want to see characters who, for a couple of hours, the good guy wins and beats the bad guy and then rides off into the sunset. Or uh, people who are in the middle of relational issues And things are broken, but they spend a couple of hours fixing them and then they live happily ever after. We we like movies to inspire us, to fill us with things like faith and hope and love, which sounds kind of biblical, doesn't it? Let's read this verse together. This is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. On the screen, read it out loud with me. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is how the Apostle Paul ends... 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. Uh, The Bible reading for today that Ober read for us, this is how Paul begins it. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And you have to understand the context out of which Paul is writing this. He's writing this letter to a group of people in the city of Corinth who are getting a church going. It's a relatively new congregation. They're trying to figure out how do we do life together as as the body of Christ. And so Paul's giving them instructions. And in chapter 12, he's talking about something called spiritual gifts. These gifts that God gives to the people of the church that they can use for the sake of strengthening the body of Christ, encouraging the body of Christ, helping the body of Christ grow. Spiritual gifts are good things as long as you remember what the purpose of the gift is. The purpose is intended to be used for the sake of the people around you. 
So that's chapter 12. You move to chapter 13, and it's almost like Paul is beginning by painting a picture. This is what it would look like if you would use your spiritual gifts but forget the purpose of the gift. You're using this good thing that God has given you, that God has blessed you with, but you're not using it for the sake of others. You're not using it to love others. Then this good thing that God's giving you is, is worthless. It's meaningless. It's pointless. It's, it's almost like God's dream is that God's people, the church, followers of Jesus Christ, would use their God-given gifts for the sake of loving the world the way God loves the world. So God has this dream, and you have dreams for your life, and, and when our dreams come together, God's dreams and our dreams, that's when the magic happens. That's when really important and cool things can start to play, take place. Mia and Sebastian are chasing dreams in this movie, La La Land, and they are good dreams, dreams that are in alignment with who God created them to be, what they're passionate about, what they're good at. What are your dreams? What are the dreams that you find yourself kind of chasing down? Are there relational dreams? Are there dreams around work, business, maybe a business that you're in or a business you'd like to start? Dreams about the future, dreams about finances. I think sometimes when we start talking about dreams, people make the mistake of thinking there's only great big dreams. No, God gives us all kinds of dreams, all sizes of dreams. God gives all of us a dream. What is, what is it that you're dreaming of these days? And how does your dream fit in with God's dream? And what do our dreams have to do with faith and hope and love? Now, to help answer that question, let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to see sort of this intersection between God's dream and the dreams of a man named Moses. And we mentioned earlier in the baptism that we believe in a God who encounters us. So that's what's happening in Exodus 3. Moses is having an encounter with God. Moses wasn't looking for God. God just kind of shows up. And it's this experience called Moses' burning bush experience. And God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. We'll pick up the story in verse 7. Exodus 3, verse 7. The Lord told Moses, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. That's a sentence you might want to underline in Scripture. Will you ever go through seasons of suffering in your life? Confusion, heartache, trials, and you find yourself wondering, where's God? Does God even notice? Does God even care? Yes. I am aware of their suffering. Verse 8, so, God says, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's like the first time that anybody had even begun to consider the possibility that the people of Israel will not be slaves in Egypt forever. That God is going to take them somewhere. And what is the somewhere that God has taken them? We call it the promised land. So here's something I want you to think about. God has a dream for us, and, and God's dream is kind of a promise. In fact, I would say there are three promises that go into God's dream for the people of Israel, but I think also God's dream for our life. The first promise is the promise of a place. I'm going to take you from here to there, from current state to future desired state, from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And how do we get from here to there? Well, God does it. But pay close attention to how God does it. This is verse 10. Again, God's still speaking to Moses. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You, Moses, must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. The first part of the dream is the promise of a place. The second uh, promise in this dream is the promise of a person. 
That as you pursue your God-given dream, there's going to be someone or many someones who do this with you. For the people of Israel, it's Moses, he's their leader. I don't know who it will be for you. It could be a spouse, a friend, a business partner, a mentor. But there will be someone, very few people, pursue and achieve their dream all by themselves. This dream that God gives us includes the promise of a place, we're going somewhere, and it's a good thing. The promise of a person to kind of go with us and help us get to that destination. And then there's a third promise. We see it in verse 12. We'll put it up on the screen and let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. I will be with you. One more time. I will be with you. It's the promise of the presence of God to be with you as you pursue this dream. In the New Testament, this presence of God, Jesus refers to it as the Holy Spirit. I will be with you always through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's unpack these just a little bit more. When we talk about the promise of a place, that does not necessarily mean a change of geographic location. It might, but part of the discernment of God's dream in our lives is figuring out, is, is this place that God is taking us, does it require moving somewhere or is it something God's doing in me, through me, right where I am? So what, what, what might that look like? Sometimes <clears throat> the change that God's bringing about in our life is moving us to a, a new place of faith. Our faith is growing deeper. We're becoming uh, more wise, living life with more wisdom, more humility. We're moving from where we currently are to a future state, but we're staying in the same place, same house, same neighborhood, same city. Sometimes it's uh, an addictive behavior or a destructive thought pattern. And God says, we want to go from this place where we're thinking one way and we're acting one way that's not really good for us. We're going to move to a new place of acting and thinking and behaving in, in different ways. We're going to move from here to there, but you don't necessarily have to change your mailing address. So part of the struggle, the journey, the challenge of living a life of faith is discerning what, where is this place? What does it mean, this place that God is promising us? Uh, secondly, there's a person for the people of Israel. It's Moses, and one of his primary roles is encourager. When the people are tempted to give up on the dream, when they're tempted to go back to Egypt, the Bible says, because remember how great the onions were in Egypt? Let's just go back there. When they're tempted to do that, Moses says, no, 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 no. Think about the ways God has been faithful. You can put your faith in God because of what God has done. You can put your hope in God to take us as we continue on this journey. And then finally, finally there's this promise of the presence of God going with you, traveling with you, being present in your life as you pursue the dream. Sebastian and Mia in La La Land, they're pursuing these dreams and through movie magic they have two or three sort of chance encounters and a budding romantic relationship starts to develop as a result. They're getting to know each other and because their dreams are such a part of who they are, as they get to know each other they're sharing their dreams with each other. And so when Mia finds out about Sebastian's love of jazz and his dream of opening a jazz club, she thinks, well we better get this out of the way early, I need to let you know, I don't really like jazz. Take a look. Now, I understand I'm weird, <clears throat> but I'm sitting in the theater watching this movie and I'm starting to wonder, is Sebastian talking about jazz or is he talking about the church? Mia says, I hate jazz, and, and Sebastian says, I get it, but let me try to help you think about jazz in a new way. Let, let me give you a new way of thinking about it, a new perspective on, on jazz. 
And he tries to help her understand that there's conflict and there's compromise and it's supposed to be new every night. He's insistent on jazz is exciting and it's dying, but not on my watch, he says. I'm going to be an evangelist for jazz. I'm going to reach out to the world around me and I'm going to share my love of jazz and hope as many people as I can get will join me in this mission to reinvent jazz. I think church is supposed to be new and exciting. And the reality is in a lot of places in America, the church is dying. I was sitting out in the, by the windows on, on Friday finishing up my sermon, and a man walked in, and he said he goes to a, a different Lutheran church in the Des Moines area, and he doesn't know how much longer it'll be open. They're going to have to close their doors. It's dying. And he wanted to just hear a little bit about hope. So I love to be a part of a church that says, not on my watch. We've got a mission, and we're going to carry it out. And that's kind of our theme for this year, on a mission from God. It's the Blues Brothers saying, but it's mostly a reminder to us we need to stay focused and centered on this vision that God has given us to reach out to the world around us, to share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Because there's people who need to hear that good news, who need to have an encounter with this God who can change everything. So I mentioned a couple of months ago, um, we actually are doing a pretty good job of carrying out this mission. You are. Uh, this, this room seats about 650 people. We had seven times that many people show up for, for Easter weekend. So we need more room. And a couple of months ago, we put together this phase two team that's looking at creative ways to, to make more room for more people to be a part of what God is doing here. The phase two team has been looking at demographic studies that the city has put out and that the school district is, is looking at. At our last meeting, one of the members of the team led us through this fascinating process where we finalized a guiding change document. And so it was just a, a document that had four columns. On the left-hand side was a column that said, what is our current state? Where are, what is here for us? The fourth column was, where do we want to go? Where, where is there? What's our desired future state? And then the two middle columns were just two powerful and important questions to ask. One question is, what are we willing to do? What are we going to do in order to move from here to there? And the second question, just as important, what will we not do? What are we not going to do in order to move from here to there? And it's kind of fascinating to have this discussion and the, the members of that team are talking to people in the congregation who are in their kind of circles and uh, next month, we meet with the architect, just kind of the next step, and you know, wh where is this place that God is taking us? So these are exciting times here at Hope. I'm excited to see where God's going to have us a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. We're in a season of transition. God's taking us from here to there, and this is a good thing. At the same time, seasons of transition sometimes feel like earthquakes, and it feels like we're standing on ground that's a little shaky and, and we can feel a little unsteady. And so hold on, buckle up, strap yourself in. This is the adventure of faith. Wouldn't want to have it any other way. I was talking with a buddy of mine who's a, a CEO at a wealth management company. You know, just another in a long line of people who want me for my money. Uh, yeah, I am not a client of his. Anyway, we weren't talking about finances. We were talking about leadership, particularly leadership in an environment that seems to be constantly changing. And so I shared with him one of my favorite church leadership quotes. It comes from a guy named Andy Stanley. Here's what Andy Stanley says. The gravitational pull of every church is toward keeping people 
rather than reaching people. In other words, the longer you exist as a congregation, this is just kind of human nature to slide into this kind of place where you primarily focus on existing for the people who are already coming rather than existing for the sake of the people who are not yet coming. Or another way to think about it is you start to do things, what do I like? What pleases me rather than what does God desire? You put it in the context of a story Jesus tells in in Luke chapter 15 about a a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. Jesus says the good shepherd goes and looks for the one that's missing. Part of the you know, human nature is to stay focused on the 99 that are here that didn't go wandering off rather than to go look for that one sheep. I think really what Andy Stanley is saying is when you make your focus keeping people, you turn inward as your culture just kind of turns inward. And remember, our mission is to reach out to the world around us. Not to be focused inward, but to be focused outward. And, and Andy Stanley basically says, if you find yourself in a church that has turned inward, you might as well close the doors, lock them, and call it good because the church is going to die. So I'm sharing this with my CEO buddy. He goes, I've got a quote for you. Uh, it doesn't come from any church guy. It doesn't come from Bible. It comes from Peter Drucker, who uh, wrote, I think, 39 books economics, politics, government, even a couple of novels, considered by many to be sort of a guru in the field of business management. Here's what Peter Drucker says. The current generation needs to be set free to stand on the shoulders of the previous generation and actually take for granted, yet not lose sight of history. Better read that one more time. Current generation needs to be set free to stand on the shoulders of the previous generation and actually take for granted yet not lose sight of history. In other words, part of our culture is where we have been, where did we come from, and part of our culture is where are we going. I gotta tell you, this quote was kind of convicting for me. I love history. And think about, think about uh, Sebastian in the movie La La Land. His jazz club that he wants to start, he loves talking about history. Where did jazz come from? Where did it start? What was going on? He loves history. At one point, he has this conversation with a, another jazz musician who says, come on, jazz is not about the past. Jazz is about the future. So I find myself loving to think about history, loving to remember back in the glory days of Hope Ankeny when we were meeting on a Saturday night at another church in town and then we moved into a middle school cafeteria and when we outgrew it, we moved into a middle school gymnasium. Remember when we had to lease warehouse space and when we left that space, they turned it into a doggy daycare center. I'm not sure what I think about that. (laughs) We've been in this building for three years and, and the temptation for me, the temptation is to kind of think about the past, think about the history, and I find myself getting a little grumpy when I do that. Well, back in my day, we didn't even have staff. It was all volunteers, and that was great. We didn't even need chairs. The the people were so slain in the spirit, they were on the floor. You didn't even need to sit in cushy chairs. It's ridiculous, right? So I need a different kind of posture. As, As the leader of this congregation, as we think about what ministry looks like in this congregation, What's the posture of our heart? What's the posture of our mind as we think about what does the future hold? Are we setting the current generation free to take for granted our history? Not forget about it completely, but not to be held back by it. Not to be burdened by it. God continues to bring more and more people into this church, which is a good thing. 
It means there's going to be conflict and compromise, and it's going to be exciting and new. These are people who have bought into the mission and vision of hope. It actually feels a lot to me like God's word to the people of Israel in Isaiah 43. God's spending a lot of time talking about history, where they have come from. But at some point in the chapter, God switches to kind of a future focus. It happens in verse 18, verse 19. Remember, this is God speaking to God's people. It might as well be God speaking to us, right? Let's read this together out loud. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? This is the dream. This is the promise. God's doing something new. Taking us to a new place, whatever that place might be. It's going to be better than where we've been before. God's bringing new people to be a part of this, to help and to encourage and and to get to wherever it is that God's taking us. And finally, God promises to be present with us all along the journey, all along the way. Now, of course, any pursuit of a dream, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be road bumps along the way. There certainly are for Sebastian and Mia in this movie, La La Land. Everything's going great until this pivotal phone conversation that Mia has with her mother, and Sebastian kind of overhears it. Mia's like, Sebastian's great, he's going to open this jazz club, and the mom has you know, practical mom questions. Uh, when's he going to open it? Well, I don't know. He's saving up for it. Oh, he's saving up for it. So he must have a job that pays well. Hey, he doesn't really have a steady gig at all. And Sebastian's listening to this, looking around at his apartment that's kind of dumpy with you know, water stains in the ceiling, and he makes a decision. Time to grow up. And he goes to this, this guy. Remember he says at the end of the scene, as long as it's pure jazz, he goes to this guy who plays anything but pure jazz. Sebastian just kind of detests it, but... The guy offers him a job with a steady income. And so he takes it, and they're out touring, and Mia is pursuing her dream of writing and and starring in this one-woman play. They hardly ever see each other. They miss each other. So he comes home to surprise her one night and makes her dinner, and they're sitting around the table, and I love you so much, I miss you so much. Come to Boise with me. I don't want to come to Boise with you. i got to rehearse for my, my play. And it quickly becomes this argument. If you look underneath or behind or through the argument, I think you can see it's really a conversation around what is the dream. Take a look. I'm convinced God gives all of us dreams. And one of the challenges of faith is figuring out how do I pursue my dream and you pursue your dream and we're all pursuing our dreams together and there's love. All the way through there's love. How does that work? Mia and Sebastian become convinced only one of them can actually pursue their dream. The other one's going to have to sacrifice it. They're stuck. What do they do? They should have turned to Exodus. Let's do that. Exodus chapter 3 is where we get the dream, the three promises, a place, a person, the presence of God. And so it's kind of going pretty smoothly for Moses and the people of Israel. Pharaoh finally lets them go. God parts the Red Sea. Uh, There's some hiccups along the way, but they make it to Mount Sinai. Moses is up getting the commandments from God. But at the bottom of the mountain, the people build the golden calf. And they start to worship it as the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It looks like the dream is about to die. They're giving up on the dream. So fast forward to chapter 33. 
Exodus 33. And remember, the dream involves these three promises. A place, a person, in the presence of God. Here's how chapter 33 begins. The Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. You still got the place. God wants him to go to the promised land. Still got the person. God wants Moses to be the one who leads them. But something has gone missing. God says, I'm not going to travel among you. I'm going to withdraw my presence from you. Leads to a pretty powerful question that dreamers need to ask themselves on a regular basis. It's a question I first heard asked by a pastor named Dave Clayton. He says, if God would give you your big dream but withdraw his presence, would you take the dream? If God would give you your big dream, whatever it is you're dreaming of, whatever relationship, uh, whatever success, whatever future, if God would make your dreams come true but withdraw his presence, would you take the dream? For Moses, the answer is absolutely not. He says later on in Exodus 33, if you're not going with us, we're just going to stay here. We don't, we don't want to go anywhere that you're not. Think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. God's going to build this church and God's going to give everybody spiritual gifts, but if we don't have love, it's pointless. And I think there's something about this It's kind of hardwired into us. It's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. We, we get this somewhere deep inside us. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why for a lot of people, the ending of the movie La La Land, spoiler alert, the ending of the movie La La Land was less than satisfying for a lot of people because... Mia gets her dream. She becomes this famous Hollywood actress and Sebastian gets his dream. He opens his jazz club. But they're no longer together. They're no longer together. And a lot of people say that's the way the movie had to end and I get that. But as I look at it, from my perspective, it seems like the ending is actually contradictory to the rest of the movie. What the rest of the movie shows us is Mia and Sebastian are better together. It's as he continues to encourage her and support her and then challenge her, she writes her one-woman play. Nobody comes to it. Two or three of her roommates come to it. And then one stranger comes to it who happens to be the producer of the movie that gives her her big Hollywood breakthrough role. Without Sebastian, she doesn't get to her dream. Sebastian says, if you have to go to France for this, this movie, you know, clearly we can't be together. But he says in the movie, he says, there's lots of great jazz in Paris. He could have gone. And the job that he's in that he hates, it's a great way to raise enough money to start his club one day. And Mia is the one who helps him with that. So they're better together. What gets them in trouble is they forget love. They're in such a hurry to achieve their dream, they forget love is patient. Love is patient. They might have had to wait a little bit longer than they wanted to, but they could have achieved, achieved those dreams together. Instead, they gave up on the fullness of the dream. They settled for only a portion of the promise. If you're in that kind of a place where you're thinking about your dream and you're tempted to give up or you're tempted to settle, it might be good for you to give voice to these words that we read right in the middle of Paul's famous love chapter. It's verse 7. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, 
and endures through every circumstance. Mia gets this dream role, and she goes to what she thinks is an audition, but they tell her, you don't have to audit. The role is yours. We, we're gonna write, we don't even have a script. We're going to write the movie for you. And they say, so you don't, you don't need to audition, but we would like to hear you tell us a story. So listen, watch Mia's story, but keep your dream kind of in the back of your head. And how does your dream fit in with what she's talking about? Take a look. <laughs> 